on this episode of The James Quandall Show. I would argue that if you aren't in bad health, you've got time because the human system is resilient. You don't have to overhaul status quo health into optimal health in a day, a month. You can't, right? That, that's a journey the rest of your life. I'm on that journey. You're on that journey. I'll still be on that journey. It's just slow, steady change. Dr. Gus Vickery is a board-certified family physician who specializes in personalized health consultations focused on total body and mind optimization. He is also a speaker and the author of Authentic Health. He founded Vickery Family Medicine in 2005, which has grown to multiple medical providers serving in three locations, including the clinic at Biltmore, an innovative direct-to-employer clinic for the Biltmore Company. Vickery Family Medicine has received numerous awards for customer service and quality. He offers personalized health consultations both virtually and in person at his office in Asheville, North Carolina. He uses advanced biometrics, genetics, hormonal assessments, metabolic and nutritional assessments, and other advanced diagnostics to determine the proactive and comprehensive strategies that will help his clients experience their best health and lifespan. He's an expert in the use of peptides, targeted supplementation, and hormonal optimization to potentiate an individual's best health. Dr. Vickery is an honor graduate of the Medical College of Georgia. He is a member of the Alpha Omega Alpha Honor Medical Society and teaches medical students for the Department of Family Medicine of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He has served as president of the Western North Carolina Medical Society. But it was interesting because I went on my beach on my beach vacation when I completely unplugged and had a great successful unplugging, meaning I know it was successful because it took me halfway through this week to feel like my brain re-engaged in what I was doing, which meant I really went deep into rest relaxation, which I needed. But there was a one morning after a lot of really good scripture and prayer because everybody else was sleeping and I woke up and then I, I took a bike ride around the entire island and really entered deeply into prayer and meditating on the psalm that I'd read. And it was like a download. And this is often when it happens, but the introduction to that book just downloaded in my brain. It was like God gave it to me. And the other thing that happened for me, James, was I realized that a lot of what I started feeling like was kind of mediocre about the book was me taking over the project and trying to write more into it, trying to make it more about me and what I want to communicate and letting it be less of what I believe it was originally, which was literally kind of a download from the Lord of this. Is- Can we back up a minute? And we're talking about a book, but the, the listener might not know what exactly we're talking about here. So what is this book? All right. So my, you know, I published a book several years ago, as you know, you've been a big advocate of it. And it was really a summation of everything I'd been learning in family medicine, plus my deeper study of the health of the human body. And then my observation of the people who had really let me work with them in a deeper way of how they could radically transform their health, how they could heal their bodies. And also for those individuals who perhaps didn't have poor health yet, but begin to realize that there was this sort of higher bar of health they could experience. And I took everything that I've been learning and tried to simplify it as much as possible into one small book that kind of captured this philosophy of health. And then I published it mostly to my own patients, but ended up with a publisher, as you know, and went out and people around the country have read it. Uh, I don't know how many, but yeah. And that book is called Authentic Health, The Definitive Guide to Losing Weight, Feeling Better, Mastering Stress, Sleeping Well Every Night and Enjoying a Sense of Purpose. And it's the it's my most gifted book to friends and family because I spend a lot, a lot of time in health and wellness, and I'm reading at least one or two health and wellness books at all times. And this book 
the reason why we became friends is because one of the reasons is you just found a way to surmise what I've been wanting to tell everyone for so long in a way that didn't make them feel guilty and in a way that made it easy to to kind of go through the steps. So that's why I'm so excited about this new book of yours, which the way you're describing it makes it even easier to understand how to uh, live your, your authentic health. So it doesn't. Thank you for that, James. I, uh, yeah. And the challenge of the first book was to simplify it, just to make it as easy as possible for people. And that's what I realized the people in my clinic, a family medicine clinic needed. They just needed it to be simple. And as a physician who loves to study human design, I love going deep and deepening my knowledge. But I recognize that there are a lot of books that are written from the deep perspective of health. And they're great. I like reading them. I'm blessed by them. But that's not what my patients needed. They needed something they could put into action into their lives right away. Simple steps. And they needed to feel good about themselves instead of feeling ashamed that they ended up in a state of poor health or with too much weight or what have you. And after I finished and, it, you know, while I, of course, I, I'd never really did a lot of heavy marketing and it didn't become some phenomenal bestseller, but it was, I think several thousand copies did get sold. And so several thousand people engaged with that material. And I think more even now, and a lot of them gave me feedback, really good feedback. And they would share with me what were the most potent things that I shared in that book in a particular category, whether it was sleep mm. or stress or nutrition that changed their life, right? A lever that they pulled that was relatively simple, that was, was life transforming for them and health transforming. And I started realizing the, the themes are very similar. It was just a few simple principles in each of those subcategories that I go into in the book that were really the big movers, the things that if people could address, got them 90% of the way that they needed to go in terms of just experiencing good health and feeling good. And I thought, you know, I could make this even simpler, right? Like my original thought as I published that first book was I painstakingly made it as simple as possible, but now I can go deeper and share more complex lessons. And I realized, no, actually my job is to make it even easier. You and I are, we devour this health literature and you, you work with people who have very, you know, influential podcasts where, you know, the top one percenters in health, you know, are listening to those, but my book is for the regular folks out there who are really desiring good health. They want to be healthy. They don't want to end up with diseases. If they have diseases, they'd rather stop taking so many medications. But, you know, I feel like, you know, my calling is really to, me- to get the message to them in a way that they can digest it and understand it and enjoy it. And so after a while, I realized I could make a much more simple version of this book. I could shrink it in half, if not more so, and really just say, here are the few things you need to do in each of these particular categories. And you can just start slow as we all, you know, discuss and have it change. You can pick one thing, do it for a while, then layer the next thing in. And then one morning on one of my long runs, which is kind of when, and I don't run very fast at all, but it's kind of when I get my epiphanies, it dawned on me the idea of telling it in the form of a story, right? Like turning it into a fiction story that would kind of illustrate those points. And I thought that sounds goofy, but hey, it's also very effective, I know, but I'm not a storyteller by trade. And then ultimately, the next long kind of jog through, jog through the woods in the morning, the actual story just came to me. Honestly, I felt like that was a spiritual thing, right? Like there's this message that could really help a lot of people, and it could be told in a way that made it as accessible and easy as possible, and even children could potentially access and begin to understand. Because in the end, as we know, the two themes that I didn't really, I, I think are in the first book, but I didn't really take and make standalone, but should have been are the themes of community and environment. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, like, because that really undergirds everything else, 
right? We have to get our communities in, interested in helping one another on this quest, on this journey. And, and then our environments have to be reprogrammed to support our health instead of constantly eroding our health. And I thought that a story would be a good way of impressing these lessons uh, or, or teaching these lessons, sharing these lessons, and also making it just crystal clear. At the end of the day, the success will be based on how we build community around these concepts and how we program our environments to naturally support yeah. how we live these concepts. Out. Yeah. So what are those pillars that if you get these figured out, you'll be 90% of the way. Yeah. So the pillars that are actually standing on this foundation of community environment include, and in no particular order, right? All of them have to be addressed. They're all essential. Any one pillar, the whole structure falls include nutrition, physical activity, movement, you know, fitness, sleep, right? Stress management. I mean, or, or I don't want to say stress management, you know, how you, uh, how you uh, kind of train your st your stress response systems for both positive stressors and uh, and managing possibly you know what we would consider negative stressors, and then you know what kind of lot plays into that is mindfulness, right? Like this concept of our mind and how our mind operates, how it was designed, and how we can begin to become the uh how we can get become in, get in charge of our own minds so that we can program everything else and sleep did i mention sleep you already? did so that's it just four buckets well i got nutrition physical activities stress sleep and mindset and mindset's number five okay yeah, that's number five which i put separate from stress in each of those areas, if you when you dive in, you'll learn, of course, in stress, that's where I put breath, right? So breath is a fundamental, like getting our breath right. But that's where I teach when I teach about stress, I start teaching about breath. So if you're in your clinic, or if you're a person reading your book, or you, you don't have the health that you want, how do you necessarily figure out which of these five to start with, which would like be the first domino? Yeah, so for me, that typically will start in the mind, um, because if for some reason, you know, if you're, if it, in people, in my experience, you know, they'll typically be, there's a continuum of where they stand on their, you know, health and their goals for their health. But uh, a lot of the folks I see are struggling with health. That's why they've sought out a physician. They've, they've got either symptoms of poor health or they've got measurable poor health. We have data to suggest that they're dealing with conditions. And, you know, like the oftentimes the assumption of some, I don't want to broad brush the traditional medical system because I believe we do a lot of good. There are a lot of people doing an enormous amount of good in the system. But a lot of what happens in this system is that people tend to be blamed for their own problems. If you would just clean up your diet, if you would just finally do the right things, if you'd stop drinking so much, then you wouldn't have these issues. You'd be healthy. And they tend to end up feeling really bad about themselves. I'm really honest, people do desire to feel good. They do. I mean, there are some individuals who have real serious psychological issues who get into sort of a victim mentality and a sick role mentality, and they tend to want to stay sick or they seem to want to stay sick. But the vast majority of people actually want to feel good. They want to wake up and have energy. They do not want to be depressed. They want to get a good night's rest. They also want to feel good about the choices they make. They don't like the idea that they can't seem to change their eating habits or finally go start getting some physical activity or, you know, or whatever it be. 
And so if you are an individual and you are in that in a state of poor health or experiencing symptoms of poor health, you do not have and making sure you understand the definition of health. It's not about your data score from your doctor. That's a part of it. It's much more of a state of being good health, optimized function of your body systems. leads to a state of being where your emotional well-being, your physical well-being, your mental well-being are all really good. You feel good. Life is good. Now, life has its ups and downs, but you can handle it. And you feel like you have an opportunity to go live to your full potential. That's what the value proposition of health is. Not that you got a good cholesterol score by your doctor. Maybe that's part of it, but that you actually get to live out your potential because your health is there to it. And people really do desire that. That's their expressed desire, but how do they get there? And if they're stuck, because the simple lessons, most people probably could guess what I'm going to teach them, these few principles in each of these categories, then they've got, there's something going on in their mind. There's something in their mind that's keeping them stuck. And they need to really kind of dig in and explore that, understand habits, how they're created, understand how thoughts and beliefs are formed, understand that the power they have within their own mind to begin to reframe all that and to actually begin to live out or to take the steps that they need to take so that they're having the experience of health they wish to have. For the individuals that are kind of stuck and can't seem to even do one of the simple things in each of these little sections, mindset is where I would start. They need to really get to know themselves better, know who they really want to be, who are they, you know, who is who is the they they are really called to be and how are they going to begin to take that journey? And so I, I would definitely start in the mind more than anywhere else. Yeah. And do you have a, a system or a recommendation for how to go through that process of kind of figuring out your why and your reason and, and, and to get your mind in the right place before jumping in? I do. And I describe it, I mean, even though even this in this new book where it's told in the form of a story, when we when I do the teaching around the mindset, it, it, it does follow sort of a, a structured approach, even though it's tucked into a narrative story in which you're saying this, you start with this, you examine your desires, right? You have to take some time and reflect and under and begin to really explore what do you really want? If you don't know what you want, you're not going to really, you know, you're not going to get anywhere. You know, you're just kind of guessing and throwing stuff out there. And in our modern society, as you know, if you aren't really clear about what you want and who you're trying to become in regards to health, uh, and uh, that's my domain is health, um, then our society right now, this environment, our modern culture, our environments are set up to basically take your health from you. They will take, when I say they, I'm not saying from a conspiracy theory or any one particular individual, just the whole cultural momentum will take you to a place of poor health. You will lose control of your emotional responses. You will lose control of your autonomic nervous system and the balance of stress response versus rest and relaxation. Your sleep will be impaired. Your dietary habits will be manipulated, right? What you think you're pursuing for yourself that you enjoy is really just a bunch of engineered habits that were created in you uh, that you didn't consciously choose because you just went with the flow. So you really have to step outside of that and begin to explore you and what is your real goal. Now, if your goal isn't to experience good health and get all the benefits of it, then my teaching's not for you anyway, right? If you're okay feeling sick, or even if you don't feel sick yet, becoming like 80% of our population that by age 40 or 50 is going to feel sick, then so be it. But I don't think most people want that. And if they don't do something, they're not going to get there. But 
Yeah, so there is a structured approach that you can use to, which is based in neuroscience. It's based in what we know about the brain and how it operates and how it functions and that you can follow stepwise so that you arrive in a place where you are, for the most part, in control of you know, your beliefs, what you believe to be true about yourself and the world, and how you are going to then take those beliefs and create thought patterns and proper emotional responses to situations and move out into the world and maintain a good state of well-being and be in charge for the most part of what you're going to do each day and how it's going to support you and your pursuit to your goals. I can't teach it all in a podcast, but I will tell you it's pretty straightforward and simple when you take all that accumulated neuroscience and you lay it out into a simple map. It's not that hard to follow, but it takes time and it takes effort. And what I've learned is it's like the hardest effort. It's easier to go follow a 30-day health transformation program, have a structured diet, do it with a group, and go to the gym and have somebody walk you through workouts. That's all good stuff. I think that's wonderful for people to do. But there's a reason why people don't sustain it, right? Because the harder work is in the mind, right? Getting mastery of your own mind. I have a video whole video section that I'll release. It's a short course on health. And I spent a big part of it really in this mind area. And I call it the owner's manual of the mind, right? Here's how your mind works. And if you would like to be the one in charge of your own mind, here are the steps you take. Step one, step two, step three, step four. So if, if someone's listening to this and they're in their 30s or 40s or 50s and they maybe don't feel sick, they're kind of wondering if their health is in a good place, like what are some of the signals that you would see that would maybe tell you that they should be working on some of this? So this is a, it's a great question, actually. And first, I'll tell you this. Everybody should be working on this because, as I stated earlier, if you're not, your health will erode in our modern environments. It absolutely will erode. Right. If you look at public health statistics uh, it'll be crystal clear that any person right now in, in our society who is not mindful about their health, their environment, the habits, and how they engage, they are going to end up experiencing poor health at some stage of their life um, and, and ending up needing medicines and physician's care and all kinds of things in order just to you know try to hold steady. So, But a lot of the folks that come to me, say 40 or 50, who've been successful in life, have exactly what you're describing. They say, yeah, I think I feel pretty good. Life's good. My energy's good. You know, I've gained a little weight. That's often one of the first things. I mean, the vast majority of people by age 40 are carrying visceral fat, different than subcutaneous fat. Visceral fat, the CDC estimates that the average 40-year-old male has got probably 30 pounds of visceral fat on them. That's an unhealthy form of tissue. It shouldn't be in the human system. It creates metabolic disease and increases your risk of earlier death, vascular disease, dementia, cancer, creates chronic inflammation, right? Most people are carrying that. So if you've started to get thicker in the middle and you've noticed this gradual trend, that's probably one indicator. Thankfully, you know, mature people, they kind of, they, they normalize whatever their life experiences, whatever they're feeling at a given time in terms of their level of mental energy, physical energy, emotional well-being becomes, hey, that's pretty good. I have ups and I have downs, but they don't know what they're missing, right? They don't understand what they could have if they were really mindful about their health. So these folks will come to me and ask for a more thorough evaluation. And they're smart about this. What you get through a preventative visit in a traditional you know, physician evaluation paid for by your insurance is completely inadequate as you age 
to actually know where you stand in your health. It is completely inadequate. You need more data if you really want to know your human system and how it's responding to the inputs you have. So these folks will come to me and we'll do comprehensive data and they are alarmed and surprised to find out they already have insulin resistance. Chronic inflammatory markers are at least mildly elevated. They have dyslipidemia, possibly vascular inflammation, hormonal downregulation, and multiple nutrient deficiency. And they're feeling and they're feeling pretty good, right? Yeah, that's their self-reporting. I feel pretty good. You know, they're positive people, which is good. <laughs> and so we, you, you know, you go about the explanation of what they're what the data shows, and it's undeniable. It's real data. It's you know, good data. And they're like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. And so you outline a plan for them and they're motivated because they're like, hey, I don't want dementia. I don't want cancer. I, I like to think of it from the positive motivation. Think how good you will feel when all of these things are corrected. And so we go about the business mostly through lifestyle change, sometimes with medicine, sometimes treatments, but mostly through lifestyle change, maybe some targeted supplements of correcting all that. And they take the action, they follow the map and all of it fixes. And then, then, you know, a year later, all of those data points look really good and they're optimized. And what they're telling me at that point is I never knew I could feel this good. I had no idea how tired I was. I'll tell you, if you don't feel like you have any issues and, you know, if you're under 30 and reasonably mindful about things, maybe you don't. But as you approach 40 or 50, you need a more thorough inventory if you actually want to know how your body is. So if they don't know you personally or and they don't live near you, how do they go about getting that exam where they live? It, it's more than the 15-minute, you know, annual physical uh, lipids test and, you know, just a quick check of your skin and, and a heart rate and, and listen to the lungs. Like, where, what, what do they do? Yeah, there's a couple of different approaches. One is, I, I, this is something I've been needing to do to put on my website, a resource list of the blood test I recommend people check at various ages. So at the very least, they could see if their physician would allow them to get some additional blood testing. I do at some point plan to offer like a video lab interpretation course where I could, people can begin to understand what this metrics mean for them, but I don't actually have that available yet. Two, they can look for uh, what's called a functional health or integrative health provider in their community. Uh, people, doctors who've been trained in functional or integrative medicine are typically well aware of this more comprehensive data and what to do with that data. The thing I would caution against is sometimes it depends on the provider or some, some very good functional health doctors are very much disease model oriented, meaning you go in and you, what you want is just a good inventory and what you need to do. And you get diagnosed with like 18 different conditions and put on 45 supplements. And that might be right for some individuals that can be over significant overkill for just a, a healthy person. But if you can find uh, an integrative or functional health doctor that can just give you a good inventory and coach you on lifestyle, that's a great thing to do. What questions would you ask though, if you, if you didn't, if you were trying to figure out if someone was going to be more prescriptives versus a partner in, in, in the room? Yeah. I mean, it's going to be hard to tell. I'd definitely do some research on that initiative and maybe see if you can talk to anybody who's seen them, but you, I would also just make it clear my goals. I feel pretty good. I, you know, I, but I would like to know my real state of health. I'd like to know about my metabolic health, my hormonal health, my nutrient status. I'd like you to possibly help me gather some tests and interpret those tests and, you know, teach me kind of what I need to do. And then what you you're doing in that point, because you don't feel sick is you're saying, look, I don't really feel like I need to do a full gut microbiome assay. I don't feel like I, you know, you don't need to get into the diagnostic test, just more of the inventory test that could be done. So that's definitely one way. You also have to recognize just the consumer has to recognize you will have to pay your own money for this. 
Uh, your insurance is unlikely to cover it. And if you're seeking this, you have to just be ready to make your own financial investment. We do have a program and can work with people virtually here in Asheville. Uh, my colleague, Dr. Jackson, his precision medicine program includes an integrated genetic report, comprehensive labs, health coaching, and a visit with him to review it. That's designed to give people a comprehensive inventory, including their genetic blueprint, their blood work, including several hours of health coaching to help people begin to understand exactly how they'll craft their life to the to this data to optimize. And that gives them more of like just proactive planning and a blueprint rather than trying to diagnose them with diseases. Sometimes in that workup, we identify people who have significant conditions and we do actually then begin to move into a like a, a medical model for those conditions. We're like, hey, we got problems that we really need to treat and manage. But most of the time it's mostly correctable through some simple interventions. I do also, as you know, have a program. I work with individuals one-on-one. My program is a little more expensive than his because it's it's me and the, my clients doing very deep intensive health work and I also use genetic reports and comprehensive data. You did mention that someone might feel good go in and start some of these lifestyle adjustments and then say to you, "Wow, I never knew I could feel this good." How does someone find an example of good health, maybe a friend or a family member or a peer or someone where they could model themselves after and then like get a taste of potentially how good they could feel. Cause I think that's sometimes the hardest part. If you feel okay, like why focus on this? There's so many other things that we can do with our time with the people I've known. It takes something happening, some type of a condition or a problem before it's like, Hey, I better, better do something. As far as identifying a partner, a mentor in this, that, that can be, somewhat challenging, right? Because that's based on who you're connected to, who shares your values and identifying somebody. But obviously, if you can, if there's somebody you know, in your life that you care about that you're close with, and they clearly seem to live at a next level when it comes to health behaviors, and they're passionate about that, finding out what they're doing and how they're doing it. But the problem there, the disconnect, the people who tend to be the high performers in this space are so high performing that and so passionate that it can be hard to relate to somebody who's just living just a normal life and needing to do the simple stuff, right? A health coach can be a phenomenal way of getting the support you need. Like health coaches are affordable. They can meet with you. They're trained in cognitive behavioral, meaning trying to understand mind and how mind influences behavior. They're trained in interpersonal connectivity. They're trained in health behaviors, environments. And that's a great way to get mentoring from somebody who would really get to know you, know what your goals are and your desires are, and kind of meet you where you are and help you walk down the path in a slow, steady way where it's not disruptive to your life. Because like you mentioned earlier, hey, we've only got so much time. Why not put my time here or there? I would argue that if you aren't in bad health, you've got time because the human system is resilient. You don't have to overhaul you know, status quo health into optimal health in a day, a month, you can't, right? That That's a journey the rest of your life. I'm on that journey. You're on that journey. I'll still be on that journey. It's just slow, steady change. But if you can begin to re-engineer your environment, if you, uh, if you understand these few simple principles, which will be clearly illustrated in this book, they're also clearly illustrated in my first book, where these are the few things you need to do with nutrition. And that's really it. Uh, yeah. If you want to get the basics right, these are the few aspects of physical activity. Yeah. So let's dig into that. Let's break down the fitness, nutrition, the uh, sleep and the stress in any order, because like you said, if one of these is severely underwater, they're all going to get pulled down from it. But 
Um, I mean, let's start with with sleep. I I think that's a good one to start with. Like, what would be the two or three minimum criteria for that bucket? Okay, yes, that's perfect because that was the one I was going to pick. Because the truth, there you go. (laughs) Yeah, because the truth is that sleep is sort of the top of the pyramid. Because if you're getting everything else right, but compromising sleep, you're still going to crash at some point. So your sleep is sort of the non-negotiable. And if you're getting really good deep sleep, especially those people who used to not get it and are now getting it, they know it's like a superpower. You feel like you can just go do anything. You're um, so with sleep. There's a couple of crucial factors. One, you got to prioritize it. You got to actually recognize the value proposition of sleep and that it's essential. You, there is no compromising sleep and getting away with it. It will erode your health, your mental health, your physical health, your emotional health, if you do not prioritize sleep. So that's what's happening to most people I see. They're just not prioritizing it. It's become secondary. But so many people say, you know, you hear Elon Musk or you hear these other high achievers and they're like, oh, I get four hours, five hours of sleep a night and I'm fine. But yeah. won't that catch up with them eventually? It will catch up with them. And, you know, you, you Elon Musk is amazing to study for all kinds of aspects of life performance. But I don't know his health status. I don't know that Elon is necessarily the person he might be, but I don't know that he's the person that we would choose if we were going to pursue our best, most healthy state. What are, what are your, again, it gets back to what are your goals, right? If your goal is to send people to Mars before you die, you might decide to compromise sleep to reach that goal. As you know, uh, people who are, have say goals to, run, you know, to complete Ironman races, right? Well, that's a, or, or be on the tour de France. Well, those are great goals, great accomplishment. But most people who study longevity would say, hey, they're achieving one thing, but they're doing it at the expense of their longevity, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to make sure we understand what we're talking about when we talk about health, a high functioning, high performing human system for as long as possible, right? That's what we're talking about. And that's different from specific levels of achievement, but sleep, is, is absolutely essential. It will catch up unless he has the one gene snip that's present in just a small percent of the population where literally five hours, these folks seem to do just fine. That yeah. is a tiny percent. Even the people who are genetically programmed for shorter sleep windows, meaning they do better with shorter sleep, need a minimum of six and a half. And that's not often. Most people need still seven to seven and a half hours of actual sleep, right? Not time in bed, actual sleep. For most individuals, at a minimum, they're going to have to give themselves eight hours of concentrated sleep to get the restorative sleep that they actually need within that window. And that means there's an eight hour, there's one third of your life that by, through, by you, know, you have to have faith that it's going to give you something back much more powerful, which it yeah. does. And so if you're not going to prioritize sleep, no other tips are going to help you. It's just not going to work. And the pharmaceuticals to manage sleep, some of them are okay, but they're mostly not good, right? So you're not going to be able to shortcut this one. And then once you've prioritized, you said, okay, I get it. I want to make sure I get my sleep and I'll give anybody a, you know, a, 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 a wager of do it for a month and see how you feel and see if you'll go back. I know they won't because I've treated tens of thousands of cases of insomnia and sleep disruption in my medical career. And every one of them is desperate just to sleep normally again. And when they do, they'll never trade it back. Then you have the sleep environment, right? You're just not going to be able to sleep well if you don't have the right environment for it, which is really straightforward. It's dark, cool, quiet, comfortable, safe. 
right? If it doesn't feel safe to you, you're not going to sleep well. And even on the subconscious level, blinking lights, sounds, disturbances, our ancestral minds view that as threat. And we don't want to be helpless in deep sleep when threat is lurking. So you really have to create that sleep sanctuary that is just a wonderful nest where you feel totally comfortable is checking out for eight hours, right, from the world. It's, it's critical. And then uh, the last part of that would be the build, the routine, the wind-up routine or wind-down routine rather to sleep so that you know that you can't just go from the most exciting, titillating Netflix, you know, binge watch to right to bed and hope that you're going to go straight to sleep. You really need to give yourself a good perhaps hour of calming the nervous system, going into a soothing routine and doing things that relax you so that when you lay down, you're able to get to sleep quickly. So prioritize sleep, prep for sleep and create a sleep sanctuary. That's what you have to do. Sorry to interrupt the show, but I must share this recent listener review from Clutney. They wrote, quote, Fantastic show with a fantastic host. I first heard James on the James Altucher podcast. So glad he's doing his own show now. If this is your review, please send me an email at podcast at and I'll send you a swag bag. How about you? Are you enjoying the show? If you are, please subscribe and leave a review. I might just read your review live and you'll want one of these bags. They're full of all of my favorite things. Don't know how to leave a review? Well, guess what? I created a how-to on my website over at quandall.com slash review. Subscribing, leaving a review, and telling your friends about the show is the best way to support me and help the show grow. Now, back to the show. I felt what was helpful to get the right amount of sleep was to kind of figure out, work backwards. If I needed eight hours of sleep and I wanted, needed to wake up at this time, I had to get in bed by this time. And if I wanted to be able to fall asleep when I got into bed instead of lay there and read for an hour or two, then I needed to stop doing other things by this time. Is that kind of how you recommend like figuring it out? Exactly. I always ask every person I'm working with what time they go to bed, what time they get up, what time do they have to get up, what time do they like to wake up? And we try to really program it to, the, to those variables. You absolutely have to reverse engineer it. If you just, again, like everything else we're talking about, if you just sort of willy nilly it, you'll compromise sleep and then you'll compromise yourself. Yeah. And so far, we haven't spent any money to on one of the largest pillars of of health. This is all things that we can do for no expense. And just by being a little more uh, planning things out a little bit better. But before we go into the other buckets, I am curious if you could paint the picture of if you could get these buckets a little more well rounded, what your health could be like, like, what is good health? Like, what is the definition of good health? Yeah, good health. Once again, it's a state of being within a human particular within a human system, an individual human system, and uh, and what it's not necessarily is your body composition, right? You might be a little heavy, you might be really thin, might be middle of the road, right? But you could still be in an optimal state of health if even if you're built to carry a little extra weight on your your system. It's not necessarily like is your cholesterol high or low, although that might be a part of it, depending on other variables. Right. It's not how fast, you know, you can complete a 5K, although there's nothing wrong with being really good at a 5K. Right. Athletic performance is good. It's accomplishment, but it's not necessarily a correlate to good health. It may be, but it may not be. Right. Good health is when your individual system, that infinite complex system, amazing design is all functioning in optimal way. All systems are online and working the way they're supposed to. That creates a state of being for you where 
from a physical standpoint, how you feel in your body, how it moves, how it works for you, how you digest, how, you know, elimination, assimilation, all that is happening without you having to think about it. You just feel good. You physically feel good and you have all the energy that you need to be productive, understanding you still have to manage your energy. It's a finite resource and that you mentally feel good. Cognitively, you feel good. You can focus when you need to focus. You can relax when you need to relax. You can be joyful when it's time to be joyful. You can occupy a present moment and be there while at the same time still have a brain that's eager for more, more experiences, more life, more accomplishment, right? The, a balance of serotonin and dopamine in the brain that allows you to stay in a state where the hopeful anticipation yet joyful with, you know, where I am right now, or at least at ease, peaceful, safe, content, and then emotional well-being. But you have to recognize that emotions are a spectrum for a reason. They're teachers. And that doesn't mean you're always going to be happy. But when you should be happy, you can be happy and relaxed, happy. And when it's time to be sad, you will be sad, but you won't be overwhelmed by sadness, right? I mean, so you get this to this state where emotionally, mentally, and physically, everything's working the way it should. And your experience of life is as it was meant to be, which is really, really good. Now, uh, you, you circumstances come along and can shake things up. But if you're in that state, you're going to deal with any adverse circumstances far better than if you're already just beat down emotionally. That was a long-winded, but that's what I'm trying to, that's what I'm hoping for for people. I, I make a, a bold statement that I know that, and because I'm a physician, it's all about health. And of course, I mean, a financial planner would talk about the value of smart money and all that, right? But I'm just going to go ahead and say that I believe that good health will solve most problems that people experience, right? Because if you have good health, then whatever it is you need to figure out or get done you typically will find the resources, the aptitudes, the abilities to get that done. But if you're in a state of poor health, it's really hard to function at the level you need to, especially when times are tough. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And we have so many external forces that come across us just as we go through our day that we can't control, that if we can control these things, and as you say, get them balanced and, and have good health, then when those external things that we can't control bring us down, it's not going to bring us down for long and, or as much as it would be if we were in a, in a compromised scenario. But I, I do want to kind of go through all the buckets. because I think that, that that's just so important. Do you couple fitness and nutrition as one or do you think that they're two separate buckets? I think I believe they're two separate buckets, but both essential. Yeah. Yeah. I so do. Let's, tackle, let's tackle fitness. Okay. Yeah. And so fitness or general physical activity um, is, is key, right? Where our bodies are designed, they're amazing machines. I mean, when you look at the spectrum of movement that a human being has, the, the spectrum of physical capabilities, we can dive deep into the ocean. We can even train ourselves. We have a mammalian dive reflex and we could train ourselves if we desire to, to go deep into the ocean. I'm like a fish. Now you can't, we're not a fish, so we can't stay there, but we can. And while we're there, like use our cognitive resources to study and look at things and record what we've seen. And then we could go walk up a 20,000 foot mountain, right? I mean, the spectrum of movement and physical potentials that a human being has is just remarkable. And it's built into every one of our DNA backbones, right? Like every one of us has those potentials. Some of us have greater potential in particular areas than others, but we all have these various potentials. And so, you know, physical activity is exploring those potentials. And the more we explore those potentials, the better we feel. There's an intimate connection between the mind and the body. We know that regular movement of various sorts 
especially outdoors, will increase a sense of well-being. It improves dopamine signaling. It improves serotonin signaling. It helps us sleep better. It reduces our stress responses. So it creates a sense of well-being when we exercise. And then there's the fitness aspect, which is just maintaining an optimized system. And again, that's separate from specific athletic performance. If somebody listening to this podcast is asking the question, how do I get a PR for my next triathlon? That's a different person than me to answer that question. That's not what I do. I help people get into an optimal state of health so that they could hopefully perform as well as possible in their triathlon. So these different aspects of physical activity and all have to be attended to if we want to stay in good health. The first is just sort of is foundational and it's really posture and stability, right? It's the ability to maintain structural integrity of our body as we move through space and stand in space. Right, that we actually are able to hold our bodies in proper alignment, proper position, engage our core muscles, stand, sit, you know, squat, you know, move through different ranges of motion and maintain good alignment and good balance in our body and good stability. It's pa- paramount for feeling good. Otherwise, you start to really hurt a lot. You're, you, you know, people who come to me with a lot of like back pain, neck pain, headaches are typically posturally unbalanced and often because they've had substantial amount of desk work followed by couch work, right? As opposed to, you know, really being attentive and mindful about how they're holding their body. Posture, proper posture also informs proper breathing, which is a subcategory. Really breathing works into many of these different areas. I compartmentalize it in stress, but proper breath is, is incredibly important for health and posture informs breath and breath informs posture. So these things work together. And so main that that's that first fundamental. You start paying attention to how you're holding your body is your body in alignment because so many people have gotten to a complete dysfunctional state of alignment. They can't find their way back to neutral. Uh, their vestibular system is so re- accustomed to the new Uh, situation that like getting into proper posture feels the most disorienting to them. That can be really helpful to go work with like a kinesiologist or a physical therapist or somebody who can actually put you in the right positions and help you begin to kinesthetically sense what is it like to actually have proper posture. That's hard. I mean, I sit here and and record a show and I'll find myself leaned forward on the desk, spine completely collapsed, shoulders forward, neck like stretched out. I'm like, oh, I sit here maybe six hours a day like this sometimes. I get up and I move every hour and, and, and have that kind of built in. I consider myself pretty healthy and my posture is there, there is so much that should be fixed with it. So it, it's a tough one. And I love your, your, you know, you work at a desk and then you work on the couch because that's, I, I find myself doing that too. I'll, I'll sit here all day. And at the end of the day, I just want to kind of collapse onto the couch. Can you see when these people walk in, like, okay, they, they posture is definitely an opportunity. Do you, do you see a lot of people that come in who posture is a strength? I mean, what's the difference between those people usually? Yeah. The vast majority of people I see posture is a major opportunity for them and also a major problem for them. It's a rare exception for me to see the person who comes in, who's clearly holding their body properly. And when we see people who are doing that, we're impressed by them, right? Yeah. Even if, I mean, like when you see somebody who knows how to use their body properly. And I'm not saying exceptionally fit, ripped up or muscular or anything. They just know how to hold their body properly and walk properly. I think there's something deep and primal in our brain that recognizes that as like a a leader, somebody who, you know, yeah, you know, you're impressed. You want to look like that person. They look more confident and they've proven that like when you get into proper posture, you feel more confident than if you don't. 
you know? And so, yeah, you know, looking at you on the Zoom call, I see that definitely the mic could be raised, the computer could be raised, you could be able to talk to me in a more upright, right and aligned position. I myself lowered my office chair so that I'm eye level with my Zoom camera so that I can sit straight up with my head straight up and talk to you without feeling like I'm having to look down. All right. Now, I'm not saying that from a self-righteous standpoint. I'm saying these are these little tweaks we can do that can make it make it much easier for us to hold ourselves in the right position as we engage in these pieces of work. You I'm sure you probably already do this. Maybe you don't might spend a part of your time doing this type of work at a standing workstation and then sit down occasionally, which is good to both sit and stand. The key is when you're sitting, have you positioned everything where you're going to be shoulders back? neck neutral head over shoulders, you know, and able to look straight ahead as opposed to have to lean forward. That head's pretty heavy, uh, a big brain like yours. And I don't say that in a, uh, a sarcastic way. Um, you know, that head is going to forward weight across that neck pretty, you know, like you know, if, if people understood the amount of weight and mass in the head and that it's on this thin neck and then the head is leveraged forward, how much actual force that's creating on the muscles of the upper shoulders and the upper back, it's terrible for that, right? And then you get to a point where you permanently curve your spine in one with some areas and straighten your spine in other areas. And now you have a completely dysfunctional spinal curve and now you're in pain. And it's gonna take a long time to reverse that, right? So posture is key the kinesthetic sense of proper posture and beginning to train the subconscious habit of it feels abnormal to be in poor posture and completely normal to be in proper posture. I think it was desk bound by Kelly Starrett and it talked all about posture and setting up your office and movement and also strengthening the muscles to proper muscles and lengthening the right muscles and using foam rollers to kind of um, loosen the muscles that are tight that are holding us in these positions so that way we can even get into good position. Because I've found when I've tried to work on my posture that it was it was so hard to maintain that because it was, felt so awkward when it should feel really, really great. But just like sitting and if you pulling back your, your shoulders does make you just feel so good. Like I'm smiling just, you know, sitting oh, yeah. here doing this. So uh, I would I would challenge the listener that is hearing this to to just pause your for a second and address look where you're sitting right now whether you're in your car or you're you're at your desk or wherever you are and uh send send me a message on social media or email and let me know what your position was like when you were listening i'm really curious um and then uh we'll uh we'll start working on this together i'm gonna work on this i'm gonna redo my my office guess uh dr gus has challenged me here so (laughs) so posture so um i does like how does playfulness go into like your physical fitness and your activity because I just remember when I was a kid I didn't think about physical fitness I just basically played all the time and all that was outside climbing trees running through the woods doing street hockey frisbee golf you know all this different stuff um like is that a big part of physical fitness or yeah playfulness is a wonderful way to put it I mean you know I I talk about just overall general movement that's my neck you know well all of these are equally important but I talk tell people a lot about just moving, right? Getting up, standing, squatting, kneeling, lunging, pushing, pulling, climbing, all that range of motion that our body amazingly was you know, given to us, use it. You don't have to use all of it every day, but throughout the week, try to use all of it, which gets into playfulness, different sporting things, competition, playing pickleball, shooting hoops, climbing a tree, you know, playing on the monkey bars, whatever. 
And there is a crossover there because then you start getting into some strength and possibly in competitive sports, you're getting into some of the aerobic, uh, um, you know, aspects that I would also put into a particular category, which we can talk about. But playfulness is a great way to put it because that sounds a lot more fun than I've got to go take my walk or I need, you know, but beginning to look at the environment as a big PlayStation for yourself, uh, not the virtual kind, obviously, where, you know, as you're walking, you're enjoying the experience, the feeling of your body, how your feet are gripping the ground as you walk, how your, your body is moving through space, the opportunity to climb up on a stump or a log and, you know, hop down. I mean, all of that. I know it sounds goofy. I'm 51, but that's what I do on my walks with my dog and my kids. We jump up on stuff. We challenge each other to hang from a branch or jump over a log. And it's a lot of fun. It's playful. It's competitive. And it's just good for me. I know I'm doing it because it's good for me. Um, they do it because they think it's fun, you know, and I, I end up thinking it's fun too, but, you know, getting in water and swimming, you know, but it's just really important that we embrace this overall sense of movement in our life. Yes. When it's time to rest, when we've poured ourselves into hard work, whether physical or mental, sometimes it is time just to sit down and relax and just let our bodies rest. That's really important. Rest and recovery is part of the physical activity fundamentals that I teach. But as much as possible, we should be trying to move more, right? And that might mean that when we sit down, we sit down cross-legged on the floor. We lay back straight up and down on the floor and just really like relax. And we do some progressive muscle relaxation of our body. We don't always have to necessarily just sit in a couch or an easy chair or something like that. Sometimes it's just time to sit in the easy chair. Nothing wrong with that. But you should challenge yourself to move as much as possible. I do pretty intensive consults, often two hours at a time. So I'm, I'll be sitting in an office chair across from an individual and I tell them in advance, look, some of this might look funny, but I'll encourage you to do the same thing throughout this visit. I'm going to stand. I'm going to sit back down. You might see me squat down below the table. I'm going to be rolling my shoulders, my neck. I'm like, for two hours, it's just hard for me to sit in one position. And they're usually like, oh, yeah, that's great. I'd love to do that, too. And it really helps us feel better physically as we do it. Cause if I do three of those in a day, that's six hours of sitting at a conference table and uh, you know, I need to move. I need to, to move around, not to mention the calories you burn with that. Yeah. And I love seeing that too. You know, you go to the airport and you see someone doing squats between the seats or stretching, they're on the ground and they're stretching. And I'm just like, yeah, that's, I love that. Like I, I want to be able to do that and not feel weird about it and have people looking at me like, what's this guy doing stretching over there? I mean, So, yeah, you have to get past that. That's the part with the community piece where all of us start to normalize this. Like it's abnormal to want to sit, not, you know, whatever, eight hours on a flight and not move at all. It's really normal that everybody would have gotten up and done some lunges in the aisle and stretched and stretched out their shoulders and that we're smiling and nodding at each other as we do that. Uh, Yeah. I was uh, on a flight to uh, Washington a couple of weeks ago and um, I got up, went to the back of the plane, and I rolled my shoulders, and I stretched, and I got, went into the bathroom and did squats. And I'm like, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do them in the bathroom where I'm hidden, where no one will see me. But it, the flight attendants were giving me like shifty eyes, like, what's this guy doing back here? Well, you know, it's it w- that would be cool if that was normal. <laughs> it would be cool if it was normal. I do get how on a flight with security concerns, maybe. <laughs> 
<laughs> What's this guy doing standing back here, rolling his neck and yeah. shoulders? And yeah. <laughs> well, and you know, it does point to something because when it comes to weight loss, I, I really emphasize this one thing, and this really falls in that category. It's the concept of NEAT, N-E-A-T, non-exercise activity thermogenesis, and the studies they've done that people who fidget more, you know, twi- you know, bobbing your leg, twitching your ankle, uh, you know, drumming your fingers, twitching your shoulders around. The people who do a lot more of that throughout a day burn up to 800 calories more a day than people who don't. Well, there's the secret there. That's why my uh, REE is so high, right? You know, my wife says, quit drumming on things, and I'm really just staying thin. Yeah, that's exactly right. So those, those folks who are having trouble getting into a focused, structured exercise program need to understand, especially if they're trying to lose weight, they can increase their metabolic rate by like to up to 800 calories a day by beginning to do this, lots of little smaller motions throughout the day, you know, roll the shoulders, roll the head around, you know, hit the fingers down on the table when they can, bob the knees up and down, those kinds of things. It can actually burn up to 800 calories a day. Well, that's great to hear. And so one component here, so you got your um, your playfulness and your posture, then I assume that strength is probably pretty important in your recommendations as well. Yeah, strength is, I think, foundational. It really becomes more important for both men and women as we start to get into adulthood and you know, kind of pass through the, the stage of life where we're still kind of growing and becoming more robust. And then we start the slow decline, which starts somewhere in our mid-20s. That's where you got to really pay attention. If you're not, you're going to lose uh, something like 1% per year of like your strength, your lean body mass. And as strength goes, so goes our, so goes our anti-fragility, right? We become more fragile, less robust as we lose strength. Strength helps our body to feel better biomechanically. It informs posture. It's not impossible to maintain good posture without proper strength. Uh, strength helps us breathe better. Strength helps us be more capable physically. It creates dopamine in our mind. We feel more confident. We feel more capable when we have strength and we protect our joints. We protect our connective tissues. We protect our bone density. Uh, frailty as we age is probably the biggest risk factor for earlier death, more so than any of the other conditions. Frailty and debility probably underlie all of them. And the best thing you can do is keep strength. Now, I'm not talking about hypertrophy and bodybuilding. I'm just talking about keeping your strength. So you don't have to necessarily go lift heavy weights to keep your strength, but you've got to do resistance training. It can be body weight. It can be stretch bands. It can be dumbbells. It can be heavy weights, but you've got to do something to keep your strength. I think the older you get, the more most individuals need to embrace some form of heavier weight lifting that's safe for them with proper form to really make sure they keep the strength. Is there a, like a, as you're aging, a minimum strength threshold that you think is kind of what we need to achieve? Yeah. So in terms of what you need to do, is that what you're asking? What you need to do in terms to keep your Yeah, I guess a, a minimum a minimum plan, but then also just like a, a test where you can determine if you are strong enough, I guess, as you're aging. Well, you can get definitely strength assessments because it really is important that all the different parts of the body are have balanced strength, but a few of the things that are commonly referred to in terms or, or looked at in terms of, uh, you know, are you aging uh, in an accelerated way? One is hand grip strength, right? That's mm-hmm. commonly known. Hand grip strength is a great correlate to aging and to overall strength. And, and so being able to maintain and strengthen your hand grips, that has to go back with the ability to use our hands effectively in more ancestral times. Right? I mean, we really needed to have strong forms and hands to be part of a tribe or plan and be meaningfully productive at that time. And so keeping the strength of your hands is really important. Also 
hand grip strength is actually a great assessment of recovery. If you're not using advanced tools like heart rate variability, but you are training hard, you can actually test hand grip strength every morning. And if your hand grip strength has been is reduced by like 20%, that might be a sign your nervous system isn't recovered and you need a rest day rather than an actual strength day. So that one's really important. And then this one's not so much a direct measurement of strength. It's more a measurement of function, but it's your ability to get off the ground using minimal body parts. So like if you were sitting in a squat position, uh, not squat, but like cross leg, can you just stand up without touching the floor? It's hard to do. You really have to work at it. It's something you should do as a part of your exercise. Make yourself do that five times a week uh, in a set. And you'll find that you get these really these this deep soreness in certain pelvic muscles that you didn't know you still had. Um, not an assessment of strength, but an assessment of function is walking speed. That's also really important to maintain a brisk pace with walking. I find it interesting. I like to theorize the reasons behind the stuff and not look at them as isolated metrics. And I get back to our, again, I, I keep referring to ancestral because I think about our pre-industrialized lifestyles and then pre-agriculture, which the vast majority of the development of human beings into the, into what we are, the, the design of who we are occurred over an immense span of time that was, you know, predates modern history. And that's kind of where our ability to thrive and, and um, you know, kind of become for better or for worse, the dominant species on this planet all occurred, right? We were optimized to our environments, to our inputs. And so I like to look at it from that perspective. And if you think about it, the ability to walk briskly over long distances, the ability to get up off the ground and get onto the ground and be in these different positions and the ability to use your hands was probably essential for survival. And our, it was essential in our hunter gathering days. And there's some reason why that program correlates. So I, I don't look at it as much as like, I think it would be helpful to actually, you get a hand grip strengthener and use it, you know, several days a week to strengthen. I think, yeah, absolutely. To practice getting off the ground just from a cross leg position or using only one hand, not two hands. I think that's helpful, but more importantly is back to the playfulness, the functional movement stuff, right? crawling and squatting and getting up and jumping and carrying things around and hanging from something where you are naturally creating in a functional way, hand grip strength, walking speed, the ability to get up off the ground and do all of that. Yeah. And it's a lot harder than I remember. There's a jungle gym in my neighborhood and there was a this kind of thing you could climb when I was a kid, I would just jump up there in one second and, and, and then monkey bar back down or whatever. And I tried to do it and there was no kids around. So I didn't look too strange, but I, uh, I, I was afraid of being up there that I was going to fall. You know, I didn't have that same confidence that I had when I was a kid with how I could move my body. So now I try to just go over there every once in a while and just kind of hang on the monkey bars or, or, or do, do that sort of stuff. But yeah, I recommend people consider trying to, if they can safely, um, hang from a bar, right? It, it maybe even if it's only two, maybe it's better if it's only two inches off the ground in case they might have joint issues. See how long you can hang that, that has, it's a great stretch and it strengthens a lot of the important muscles and especially the hands and forearms. Uh, and then if you really work at it, get to a point, try to hang from with one arm, right? Like get to a point where you can hold yourself the weight of your body on a bar with just one arm. You don't have to do a pull up, but can you just hold your body? What I found the first time I tried that and I, and I do a decent amount of pull-ups on a regular basis, I couldn't do it. I immediately was falling, right? Like the muscle, the kinetic sequences of muscles and the neurological innervation necessary for me to hold myself with one arm hanging was just offline. And then is, is there some benefit to using these muscles you don't use very often, not just for the strength side, but just 
mentally. It opens new connections to to stimulate your mind and, and help you learn or grow or, or anything like that too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, your motor cortex is like really the biggest part of your brain. It takes up more space and energy than the whole frontal cortex where all your thinking work, not all of your thinking work, but a lot of the thinking work is done. And so, you know, it's a big part of the brain, our brain. I mean, a big chunk of our neurological function is basically oriented to movement, right? How our bodies move because it was critical for survival. And so you were given every muscle you have in your body was given to you for a reason. There's no vestigial muscles in the human system. Like no, no, nothing that's just a remnant that's not important for function and trying to make sure that you're activating all those muscles. It, it's a stimulus to the, the motor cortex, the sensory cortex. It creates greater innervation of the, you know, the nerve muscle connections all throughout the body. The answer is yes. It's really important. Even if it's not fun to occasionally have to do, sometimes you have to get into different types of exercises like, you know, certain forms of yoga or certain types of, uh, you know, Tai Chi or things of this sort where you begin to engage muscles that maybe you're not engaging in your usual patterns of life. Yeah, I did this, uh, this bar class slash spin class not too long ago, and I'd never done a bar class before. And there were some muscles that were so sore the next day that I didn't even know that I had. So that's a common experience. So I, I think that's neat. And do you have any as as far as resources? We we mentioned Kelly Start for sort of the 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 movement and posture and and stretching and, and fitness in that way. But what about for nutrition? Like since we can't dive into it as deep as I'm sure both of us would like to, what where would you send them? Hey, actually for a primer on those three principles and kind of how to apply and get started and understand them, I would actually send them to my book. Okay. So I will put a link to, to, to your book and to everything else that we mentioned in this in article, including the grip uh, trainers that I've found that yeah. work really well. And I just keep one in the glove box in the car and I keep one uh, near the couch so I can just kind of train whenever. Um, the show notes for this episode will be at quandall.com slash Vickery. That's quandall.com slash Vickery, V-I-C-K-E-R-Y. And then that way you'll be able to get all the other things that we talk about here and anything else that uh, Dr. Gus thinks of that we might want to include there. It, that's one of the reasons I recommended it to my, my friends and, and, and family was the nutrition section was just so clear and clean and easy to understand. It was very holistic as in these principles, like you mentioned, the three principles, they'll work for everyone. And then you can kind of fine tune it for your specific needs, like if you don't do dairy well or or, or you, you things like that. But the basic principles in the book were very, very easy to understand. So that's that's yeah. that's why I like and, that book so much. Because I, I'm not really into selling the book. I'm happy for people to buy it if they want to. I did put the link here in the chat the, to ebook.drgusvickery.com. And if anybody who would like to read that chapter, they can download a free ebook version of it. So they can Oh, that's great. Thank you. Order. That's really cool. They want it, can have it. Um, yeah, there's also the audio files on that site as MP3. You have to download them and load them. But basically, if you want to listen to the audio book, that's free as well. Perfect. That's great. Yeah, I'll put that in the show notes as well. So if you're driving, don't worry, you don't have to jot it down right now. You can go to the website later and grab the ebook and the audio files and everything else, all the other goodies that we've talked about. Well, my wife and I were taking an after dinner walk last night, which is sort of our every night routine, uh, rain or shine. And we saw some deer in, in a park near our house. 
And we were like walking really, really slow as a, not to startle them. And they had these, these babies with them and it was the, kind of the smallest deer I've ever seen. And we walked really, really slow and we didn't, we didn't scare them. And she kept saying to them, she likes to talk to animals. She's like, don't worry guys, we're, we're your friends. Like you're being a good mom and, and all this. And we kept walking and they didn't get startled. We walked right past them down the street and then a car came and they immediately darted across the road all, uh, all the way out of there. And she's like, man, we just did all that work for nothing. And she's like, could you imagine living your life like in that level of fear all the time where they literally like are just like, you know, there's deer in the headlights. And like, that's a saying we use because it's just so common. And then I, and I was thinking about our interview today and I, and I know your book and I'm like, you know what? Like we are like that. Like we, we maybe not be just like deer, but we are in a state of fear and like survival or fight or flight all the time. And um, I think that's probably where I'd want to start is what you, what you think about that. And then maybe what we can do to get out of that mindset. Yeah. I can tell you that, um, you know, a lot of the, I began to really hone in on stress because of all the number of people coming to see me sick, sick with various things. And I'm not saying that stress is the root cause of all these things. So if you have any of these conditions, it might not be stress for you, but for a lot of the folks, that's all it was severe migraines, intractable migraines, which are debilitating for people, insomnia, anxiety and panic attacks, chronic depression, you know, apathy, you know, loss of zeal for life, fibromyalgia, severe muscle pain, severe fatigue, exhaustion, irritable bowel syndrome, inflammatory. I, I mean, the list just goes on and on of ways that the body was, you know, dysfunctional and people were coming in because I have gut issues, I have headache issues, and yet after an interview and working through, and this was, of course, during a time where I was seeing tens of thousands of patients, right? Just high volume clinic. I didn't have the time and the data that I have now when I'm working with a client, right? So this was just, you had to figure it out as fast as you can. And what I began to see is that it's the stress, right? And again, stress, we, we have to be careful to understand stress is a positive thing. So actually meant to be a positive thing. And our stress systems are well designed to manage stress. And if we're not activating them at all, we got problems. You know, stress is exercise is a form of stress. Fasting is a form of stress. Eating certain types of bitter herbs is a form of stress. Breath work can be a form of stress, depending on which form you do. Cold plunges, saunas, all of these things are stressors, right? And the right dose and duration, they're actually expanding our potentials, creating more robust anti-fragile human beings if we're applying them rightly. But this constant state of low level fear, unease, I'm not safe, is terrible for the human system. We were not designed to live in such a state. Our stress response system was not designed to manage that state. Our hormonal systems that respond to the stress inputs, it completely wrecks us. And it takes our well-being in a most pronounced way. It's just terrible. And people feel helpless how are they ever going to change it? Because that patterning layers deep into the central nervous system, into our thought loops, our belief loops, our emotional responses, and then the downstream of the parasympathetic, parasympathetic sympathetic nervous system responses, the subsequent work of the adrenal glands, the neurotransmitter, it becomes a deep set pattern. So people, they're not helpless, but they feel helpless. And in a way, they almost are helpless, especially if the environments that they live in most certainly have created this state for them. It yeah. wreaks havoc on a human system. The worst part is what it does to well-being. Yeah, because you know, you can live with a lot of times, like I talk about all these conditions. Some people just get them, right? They get exposed to a nasty parasite and it leaves them with inflammatory bowel. 
right? They get a hit, whatever, hit by a car, something, traumatic injury, and they for now, from now on are going to have some issues, right? So we're not talking about the perils of life that can just happen normally, and then we have to compensate and deal with. We're talking about for what should be healthy, robust, well-performing human systems that they're stuck. So they come in and it's gut, 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 gut. And yeah, we can talk about how we're going to treat your gut. We can talk about medicines and supplements, whatever, but the real issue is the stress, right? Until that's solved, the gut issue is never going to go away. It's especially terrible to see people stuck in a pattern of migraines, tension, headaches, sleep deprivation, their lives. I mean, uh, they're like walking zombies and I feel so bad for them. God bless them. I mean, it is a terrible state of affairs. And until they allow their brains to rest and recover and get into a state of ease, they are going to suffer. Like in the newest and latest greatest medicine, it's only going to buy them temporary relief. Yeah. And so I have never experienced the level of physical issues that I just described, but I have been on my own journey of deep stress, you know, waking up every day in a state of fight or flight and going through that day, how am I going to survive getting to the night, going to bed, waking up and doing it again, going on day after day, week after week, year after year until it beat me down. I was like, I can't live this way any longer. And that's when I began to really study uh, the sort of, you know, the autonomic, you know, uh, human nervous system and how it was designed, you know, how it was built, what are the tools we can use to modulate it properly? And what was it built for? Meaning, obviously, these modern environments are not a, a proper match for this system. But what's ironic, and you know, this is that most individuals, not all, we have real problems, serious problems. I know that. But most of us, on a day-to-day basis, are living in one of the safest, most free, most prosperous times in all of human history, meaning these ancestral stress response systems that were geared to help us survive real existential now threats are being chronically activated when there's not an actual threat at all. Yeah. Yeah. I I would be interested to know to anyone listening to the show like when the last time you were truly worried about where your your next meal was going to come from or where you're going to sleep and i know that 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 happens but those basic uh the hierarchy of needs we in america in in most cases especially if you're listening to this podcast um we don't have to worry about those things very often and so we we you know I heard a stat the other day on a marketing podcast about, about the fact that we are marketed to ten thousand times a day, and and that's everywhere from billboards to television to audios to uh, the news and all these other things. So that's ten thousand external pings that are coming to us every single day by people that are trying to sell us something, and many times that something that they're trying to sell us is not. Uh, this definition of health that we're talking about here. It's something else. And um, that's overwhelming uh, to us. Yeah, it is. It's overwhelming. And so that's where, again, in the book, I describe this. And then I get into what are the first things you can do, right? Like, well, how could you start today to no longer be helpless in the face of this? Because your circumstances aren't going to, whatever circumstances have stressed you out, those aren't going to change them tomorrow. And some of those could be very real things like a horrible work environment, a terrible boss, a a very challenging relationship in your life, a dying parent. You know, those are all things that we have to periodically deal with. And we we have the capacities and resiliency to deal with it. So you're going to, we have to recognize there's going to be a certain 
a certain amount of our cup of stress is going to be filled every day. But then we have to say, okay, what are the things that are stressing me out that really don't need to be? They're not really something that I need to attend to. They're not on my work list. And that includes things like things like all of the news reporting, regardless of what it's about, whether it's about COVID, politics, conservative, liberal, economics, world, global affairs. For the most part, not much is going to change about that stuff on a day-to-day basis. You could probably check in once a month and get the lay of the land and then just turn it off for another month. And you It's funny when you don't pay attention to the news for a while and then someone comes up to you and says, hey, did you hear what happened? And you're like, no, what? Or they're like, this, this, this. You're like, oh, that's exactly what was happening the last time I checked the news. <laughs> exactly. It's not much changes, right? And anything that you really need to know, like if suddenly there was a massive new COVID variant surge in your community and it really was lethal and dangerous for you, you're going to find that out, right? You're going to hear yeah. that. You're going to have any problem hearing that news. So you got to turn off all the external stuff. It can definitely help to turn off social media platforms that you, where you mostly experience negativity and negative commentary. I mean, if you've got like a good Facebook group where it's a real supporting community and you go there and get nurtured, encourage one another. Absolutely. That's a good way to help reduce stress. So I'm not saying that all social media is bad. It's not. But if it's primarily provoking you and creating negative emotions, then you probably need to turn it off and stop getting exposed to that platform. And so you begin to turn off the noise, right? All the superfluous, extra non-necessary noise that is creating nervous system responses, even if you didn't think it was. So you get that turned off. And now what you've got on your plate is your actual real stressors that you have to deal with. And then you get your mind, you do the proper inventory and you do the proper, um, you allot the proper value to those stressors, right? And you begin to identify that many of them are just self-induced. You're just making yourself stressed over a situation that's not even that stressful. And that gets back into the mindfulness tools that I teach that that really spills right into this. The mindfulness chapter goes straight into stress because I see the two of them playing together. And then you begin to you know, begin to get your thoughts right and your responses right about the stresses you're actually experiencing. And then the ones that are really bad, you start working on them. You start making a new plan. You might need to find a new work environment if you can. You know, you you have so much more autonomy over your life than you believe. People get into a state of learned helplessness. They certainly do in my clinic where they believe they're helpless to improve their health. And their only hope is that perhaps a new medication is on formulary to treat their diabetes or their hypertension or whatever it might be. When in fact, the body has such remarkable self-healing capabilities that the best tool that they have at their disposal is within them already. And they need to know that they have that power. So you begin to recognize that you have some say in the matter of your circumstances. Sometimes you might not. And you just have to endure. I mean, that's why I love Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. He had no power over the fact that he was in a concentration camp. But he still learned how to master his mind and become incredibly productive, even in a chronic, severe, existentially threatening situation like he was. I think it's a great learning lesson for all of us because the vast majority of us, some might be, but the vast majority of us, Whatever the stresses are that we're letting affect us emotionally and take our well-being, they're nothing close to what Viktor Frankl was living in. If he could do it there, we can do it certainly in the construct of our lives that we're living. And so you have to become very mindful. You have to wake up the higher mind because what's happened when you get into that constant state like those deer were in that moment, your reactive lower mind is now in control. And all it's going to do is keep reacting and reacting and reacting and it's threat, threat, threat anger, you know, whatever, resentment, and you just, you end up occupying a very low level state of being that is not what human beings were designed for. So you have to find your way back to activating the higher mind. You have to get some sense of self-efficacy about these things. You have to become an intentional, but you can't do that if you don't clean up your stress environment. If your home 
is cluttered and messy and things need, you know, like make your home a nice place. Do what you need to to put it back in order. Turn on soothing music in the background. Get the lighting right in your home. Create your sleep sanctuary so you can at least have eight hours to recover from the stressors you're experiencing. Begin, you know, relationships that only bring you down. I'm not saying cut off people that might need you that are hard on you, but reduce your exposure and draw some boundaries and invest yourself in the people who help you to feel better about yourself, believe in you and encourage you and share your values. Right. So these are all little things that you can begin to do. It's back to this environment piece, which is so important. But then, you know, the next step is, well, what do I do in the meantime? That's going to take a while. Well, that's where I move straight to breath because breath is such a powerful tool. Everybody has at their disposal where they can at least get some traction on reducing their stress response. Yeah. And in the in the book, you mentioned my favorite breath exercise. It's my go to from Mark Devine's um, book, uh, I think it's Unbeatable Mind, mm-hmm. and it's the box breathing technique, which we can teach right now in in twelve seconds. And it's just breathe in four count or six count. It's just stick to the whatever number four. I do four through your nose, and then hold at the top for four seconds, and then exhale gently through your mouth for four seconds, and then hold for four seconds again, and then repeat and uh, it, it always, it, it's sort of how I center myself before doing a show. And, um, I pray before doing a show and I listen to some, uh, some, uh, binaural beats music before doing a show, but the breath work really, I mean, it can center you immediately, just like three or four rounds in like 20 seconds or 30 seconds. So, yeah. Yeah. I love the box breathing because it's such a, it's such a balanced form of breathing, meaning it's not designed just to put you to sleep or knock you out. It also trains your carbon dioxide tolerance, because as you do those holds on the inhale, exhale portions, you're actually learning to breathe uh, at a slower rate, blowing off less carbon dioxide. So it accomplishes a little bit of that goal, because as you get good at it, you might find that it becomes a five count or a six count or, or four count becomes five seconds. And you can get to a point where you're doing literally like three breaths a minute or two breaths a minute, which. Oh, really? So you would, so you would, you've, I always have stuck to the four, 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 but you will, will you make the hold longer or will you make them all longer? My four count, instead of being four seconds, it might be seven seconds. Right. Hmm. And so I'll be one, two, three, four, right? I usually stick with the four, two, because that's just rhythmic. It makes sense. But I, I'm, I, the pace of it can be different. So I can actually be box breathing. And now if you get to a point of discomfort, then you're doing real CO2 training. And that's kind of disrupting the point of the box breathing, right? But what you find is over time, you get better at it. And you're doing both, you're getting a higher CO2 tolerance, meaning becoming a more effective breather. And, uh, and at the same time, getting the focusing benefits of box breathing, of course, if somebody needs to immediately calm their nervous system, they're one of a couple of things I recommend. Uh, an asymmetric form of breathing, like four, eight, that's just simply exhaling longer than you inhale, which activates the parasympathetic nervous system. Inhaling longer than you exhale, hyperventilating, like Wim Hof breathing, activates the sympathetic nervous system. And it can be used to kind of wake you up and get some dopamine and initiate some adrenaline. And that's great for getting a little charge up if you need to go work out or something. You just do the rapid breathing, like in and out real fast. And you hyper, you know, you're basically over breathing, but then for calming the nervous system, because that's what we're doing with stress an asymmetrical extended exhale begins to activate the parasympathetic nervous system. It just calms you down. And so it might be four, it's usually like a four, eight, meaning a four in eight out, four in eight out through the nose as much as possible. Of course, belly moving, trying to diaphragmatically breathe. 
And what happens when you do that, usually if you've been hyper-stressed and over-breathing, which most people who are hyper-stressed are over-breathing, they're, they don't recognize they're doing it, which is adding to their stress and triggering panic. They, they just stop. They recognize it. They do an inventory and they're like, oh my gosh, my whole system is tense. Like you get to know your body and it sends you a signal. And rather than like trying to dig yourself out of a frigging deep mud pit of stress response, which takes a while, you catch it when you're ankle deep in it. And you're like, oh, I just need to step back out of this and get, get some control and regulate my nervous system. And so you do some, you know, two minutes of four, eight breathing and you get control of your breath and you calm your sympathetic nervous system down and activate the next thing, you know, you're refocused and you're okay. I'm okay here. And as you get good at it, you don't have to think so much about the breath. You can move into gratitude while you do it, which is always wonderful because if you begin to really feel gratitude, it's doubtful that you can stay in a negative state of mind while you're feeling really grateful about the good things that you do have. So you like to you start bundling these tactics because first you might just need to focus on the breath because you've never done that. You got to get that right. And again, you can download my book for free. And if all you want is the breathwork stuff we're talking about, it's in the stress chapter. So you can go download that and read that one chapter. It'd take you 15 minutes to read that chapter. And you'll know what James and I are talking about. So that resource is free for anybody who wants it. And that uh, 4A breathing is my go-to for calming my kind of monkey brain when I'm trying to fall asleep. I'll try it three or four times and then I forget that I'm even doing it and I'm already asleep. I will tell you something I've learned recently, which I would have put in the book if I'd known it. And I'm going to give credit to Huberman, Andrew Huberman. He's got a great podcast called the Huberman lab. He is a Stanford neuroscientist. Uh, his podcast is amazing. He is so generous with his knowledge and his tactics. And he's all about how you modulate the nervous system. And he has teaching about a wide range of topics. He gets pretty deep because he's a neuroscientist, but it's called the physiological psi. It's also called the double inhale exhale. And it's pretty simple, but essentially you breathe in fully through your nose. So you breathe in. And when you get to the limit of the breath, you take uh, the last moment, you take another quick breath. You you just breathe in, right? So it's almost a little painful or raw feeling when you get to that point. And then you breathe out very slowly through the mouth, a long exhale. So you breathe again in through the nose. And then when you get to that limit, you stop it, and then you go you breathe again, then long exhale, long exhale. Those physiological sighs, he says, are the most powerful way of acti- activating the parasympathetic nervous system. Whoa, I, I will tell you, Something happened with that, and oh, yeah. it was a similar feeling to like when I jump into like an ice bath, and there's just like this whoosh feeling of just it, stress gone. It can bring your heart rate down so fast. In between, you you know, James, now that at 51, I, I weight train, I have to if I want to keep my strength. And in between my like my hard sets of heavier weights, and I'm by no means a bodybuilder. I don't want to give any people that impression, but. I use physiological size to completely bring my heart rate back down. And then right before I hit the next set, I'll do some quick hyper breathing to kind of activate and do it. And then to start my recovery because of my workouts, because I'm an old man. And if I'm going to work out the next day, I better start recovering. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We can't, we can't be calling yourself an old man. I'm pretty (laughs) sure in this book somewhere, it says uh, that that's bad signaling. (laughs) You're a young man. I say it tongue in cheek. I feel young, (laughs) but at 51, the truth is that if you want to exercise pretty vigorously regularly, you better be all about recovery, right? Or you'll beat your body down. And so what I do as soon as I finish my weight training each day, I go straight into like 10 physiological size. I start my recovery right there by just using that breath technique. And it's already beginning to calm my nervous system back down. So would you suggest that for like a 30 year old too? Like, should I be doing that? Absolutely. I mean, Huberman, I love, I mean, I just love that guy in his podcast. He is so generous with his knowledge. He has convinced me 
the physiological sigh is probably the single most powerful breath tool to calm the nervous system. Wow. And I haven't heard of that one. And I've yeah. done I've done a lot of breathwork stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I'll make sure I find a good video uh, in case uh, you listening, you didn't uh, catch how to do it. And I'll put that in the notes too. So we, I'm going to practice that as well and try and learn a little bit more about it. But um, breathwork's just amazing. I mean, I feel, I feel really good right now and uh <laughs> you're gonna do is there any physiological size right when we get yeah. off this. <laughs> yeah is there is there another uh, anything else in this in this category before we kind of uh start to wrap things up i think that that kind of recognizing the stress cleaning up the environment of stress and then beginning to work on breath first and then you move into mindfulness right you start activating the higher mind and really beginning to get into states of gratitude and cultivating positive emotions and then regardless of the levels of stress you're experiencing you'll have less irritability less impatience less depression around it you'll feel more empowered and be able to take action not only that you'll be proactively mindful about the stress what it's doing to your human system and and actually working doing some things to help balance that out so you don't end up in an overwhelmed state, which is often where people end up in front of me. And at that point, they're they're buried in the mud and it's going to take a long time to unwind it, but they can still do it. It's just going to take a while. And sometimes we have to use pharmaceuticals just to help them get started. Yeah. This uh, new book of yours uh, that that's going to make the authentic health book even more simple to grasp I, are, are you going to be covering each of these sections in there too? I am in a very simple, straightforward way, not a ton of like flushing it out because I do that in the original book and just mm-hmm. trying to help as many people as possible kind of wake up to this idea that their health could be, I'm not going to say it's their most precious resource, but it is one of their most precious resources. And that if they don't begin to become mindful and proactive about it, they're going to lose it. In our modern, I see it. I I just have had the privilege of seeing what happens to people in my work over 20 years and that they have a lot of say in it and that it's not as hard as it's been made out to be. That if they just simply on a foundation of community and environment, build these pillars with a few little plug and play things they need to do for each pillar. And they layer that into their life slowly over time that that will take them 90% of the path to that they need to optimization. It'll That's all they really have to do, especially for the busy people who don't want to read health books and biohack and do all this stuff, right? And then you can go that next 10% or even become 110 or 120% or if you want to, getting into all of the deeper data and biohacks and techniques and gadgets and tools and peptides. Sure, it's all fun, but most people can get where they need to go with just applying those simple principles. Yeah. And that's saying a lot because I know from our other conversations that you love to geek out on the really, really deep, nitty gritty stuff and and that you can you can speak as well as anybody I know in any one of these categories with the the latest and greatest biohacks or tricks or tools or gadgets or whatever. So the the fact that you're you're so good at explaining the nuance in a simple way as well is is really cool because it, it's so easy to get caught up in the, the really complicated tactics that cost a lot of money. But I don't think anything we've talked about, except for maybe some diagnostics with a, a physician, if you if if you want a really good kind of starting place or a coach, all this is free. Yeah, it's all free. Everything else that I'm writing about in this book is free. The only part of it that's going to take a little more of your resources is that when you invest in a healthy environment and you invest in healthy, uh, health, and when I say environment, I mean water, food, air, products that you use, you're going to spend a little bit more money to create that healthy environment, but you'll exponentially save on what it will cost you in healthcare costs if you do so. Do you, are, do you have another uh, 
call here. I, I did have two folks that sent questions in that they wanted oh, sure, to ask ahead, you specifically. Ask okay. Yeah, so uh, one was, uh, what's the best way to reduce body fat <laughs> without compromising their testosterone? Oh, without compromise. Okay. So I'm going to give you, listen, this is very complex. I've, I, weight loss is a passion of mine and I've helped a lot of people. I have, I, I want to say this, they did it, but I, I helped them. And I've, I've also not helped a lot of people. Many of my plans didn't work out, Okay, but I've helped a lot of people lose weight. So there's a lot of complexity to this and you got to get all of it right. But if you're trying to lose weight, and build testosterone, which losing ex excess adiposity or fat tissue will actually increase your testosterone because fat aromatases testosterone into estrogen. The, these are the three fundamentals. If you want to lose weight, you must reduce calories. You have to do some form of calorie restriction, whether that's cyclic with like intermittent fasting or cycling of various calories, or whether it's sustained for punctuated periods of time followed by normal eating. But you must create a calorie deficit if you want to lose weight. A ketogenic diet where you eat sufficient calories to maintain energy balance will not cause weight loss in and of itself, right? You have to create a calorie deficit, but that's key. While you create that calorie deficit, you must prioritize protein, right? Protein can be used for a lot of different reasons. There's reasons to go high protein, low protein, but if your goal is to lose weight and maintain muscle or build muscle and build testosterone, you must prioritize protein. And at that point, I recommend typically, you know, I don't know what your particular weight is, but usually it's about a gram per pound of ideal lean body mass. Ideal meaning if you're, I'm making this up, but if you're 300 pounds and should be 180, you're not eating 300 grams of protein. You're eating 180 grams of protein. For most people, 150 will be sufficient. It's a lot of protein. Get out a food app and look it up and you'll see how hard it is to get to 150 grams. I've been, uh, when Dr. Gus had programmed me my protein and I was eating significantly less than I thought I was and significantly less than I should have to be building muscle. So yeah, it's hard. Reduce calories. You must do that. So you got to know you're doing that. Prioritize protein and strength strength, right? Mm -hmm. Strength, 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 strength. Now, if you can complement, if you can do sort of a complement of strength training and high intensity interval, you'll be double good. If you can do that without compromising your recovery, because everything other than the high protein, which is actually the human system likes that, everything else is a form of stress. The calorie restriction is a form of stress and the exercise is a form of stress. And if you end up compromising recovery, you'll end up with inflammation and that will work against fat loss. So, but, so you'll, you'll know your body will teach you the right balance, but individuals who cut calories, maximize protein and strength train can successfully lose fat while preserving, if not building lean body mass, and that will increase growth hormone and testosterone. That's great. And then the second question is from uh, someone who read your book, Authentic Health, and they asked what you thought some of the, f some of a few of the leading distractions are that are preventing us from living this life balance that we spent the last hour talking about. Okay. So the leading distractions, those are, that's a, it's a great question. I, I personally believe, and I'm not saying it's all bad, but I do believe that technology is probably the biggest distraction because whether it's, you know, our phones, our iPads, our computers, our social media networks, or our televisions, ultimately every bit of time that we're investing in that, that's not essential 
like essential communication, essential for work function, is taking from some time we have to invest somewhere else. And so I'm a big believer that we thrive when we get outside more and get a lot of natural light. We didn't even talk about lighting, but I talk about mm-hmm. lighting in the next book. And, you know, and so, you know, I mean, I really think that I'll just it, it, to keep it short. Technology is probably the leading distraction for all of this. And then, you know, the second distraction is really a subconscious one and not one someone would think about, but it really is our automatic programs that are running in our brain, all these preferences and things that we think or the way we want to do things or should do things that are actually keeping us from doing the things that we need to do. So rather than put the phone down and go play in the woods for an hour uh, you know, we, we end up, you know, doing something else that's not as good for us because we're not willing to pattern interrupt those thought loops, those thinking loops, those feeling loops. So we just are distracted within ourselves, our own rumination of our problems or the things we want to do or whatever, instead of actually going and taking action, like, Action is what matters. We got to go do whatever needs to be done. And so you have to kind of get out of your own head and go do it. And so it's the external uh, distraction of technology and then the internal distraction of our own sort of hardwired patterns in our brain that we just have to kind of stop listening to and say, I believe an hour in the woods is going to actually be more for me than anything else I could right now. So I am just going to go spend an hour in the woods. And what people report when they do that is 15 minutes into the woods, they're amazed. They're like, oh my gosh, this is awesome, right? Like as soon as you enter into a pattern of a healthy activity, even one that might be hard uh, or a form of stress, you start feeling really good. And I think that's how God built the body. He designed it so the rewards are tucked in to the the patterns of behavior that take care of ourselves and that take care of our communities. The thing is, you have to go get started if you want the reward. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think that's a great place to to wrap things up. And I think Next time, maybe when your your book your next book comes out, we'll come back and then we'll go into the fun, uh, nitty gritty side of some of these these pillars and uh, maybe talk about precision genetics and and circadian rhythms and and light and and uh, and cold and some of the other things that I know uh, that you love to talk about too. Yeah, so. I do, and I love to always keep it as simple as possible. You know, yeah, so anybody could start doing it today if they were. Yeah. Know. Yeah. So where can the, the listener learn more about you? And is there any, any other closing thoughts you want to share? Um, so I do have a personal website. I do share some videos and case studies on there. We're updating it right now. So it looks a little wonky. It's going to get ref because uh, I got a lot I have an t- enormous number of blogs that are on there, but they're not well organized. That's uh, Dr. com. Our practice website where my colleague also does the lower cost comprehensive precision health evaluations is Wild Health Asheville. That's www.wildhealthashville.com. And we have information about our programs and offerings there. Uh, the book is free download at ebook.drgusvickery.com, both the audio files and the ebook version. And the next book, when it comes out, will be free as well in, in an ebook form for anybody who wants it. So uh, we'll make that available as soon as possible. But those are the, probably the best ways to engage with my content. A lot of what I've produced, the video courses and things, those are getting finalized and will begin to show up on my uh, to my, my platform uh, in the near future. And in, in full transparency, uh, Dr. Gus does um, this precision genetics and analysis that we briefly talked about. And you can see that on his website. And uh, it, 
if you if you can invest in a full comprehensive uh, workup analysis and plan uh, based on your genetics and your blood, that uh, then you can create a nutrition plan and a lifestyle plan um, from that. Uh, Dr. Gus does that, and it is a fa- fascinating program and has has really helped me a lot personally. So. Um, I would recommend checking that out if you have uh, some extra resources to invest in that. Um, it, it, it's, it's definitely worth it for sure. Um, but Dr. Gus, I'm just so grateful you came on and to, to the show. And I know we could have went a much, much longer, went much deeper. But I think that this is a great place for, for people to start. And I got a lot of takeaways myself that I'm going to work on as soon as I uh, go outside and get some sunshine once we're done talking and, and do some more of those uh, physio breaths. <laughs> <laughs> the physiological side, I know you're going to start working on that right away. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to do one right when we're done as well. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you, James. It's always a pleasure uh, having a conversation with you.